takes the time to stop and smell the roses We're too busy walking around, living our lives But by making the world a more beautiful place, Artemis publishes artists and writers from the Appalachian region of the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia and beyond. This is the time when we need to write and make art for the sake of healing our souls and enriching our communities. Welcome to Artemis Speaks. Hello. This is Jerry Rogers. I'm editor of Artemis Journal, and today I'm going to be speaking with Jean Larson. Jean Larson is a writer. Uh, she has nine books under her belt, poetry and some fiction, and she's had a long history, or should I say her story, with Artemis Journal. I believe starting in the 1980s when you were teaching at Holland University, you got involved. And we started publishing you back then. And through the years, we have published Jean 14 times up to this year's journal, 2020. One of the uh, publications, one of the publishing uh, stories was a short story you told me. So how did you uh, get involved in, in Artemis? Well, I heard about it from a couple of different people who were active along with you, Jerry, in the early days um, Valerie Nash, a wonderful poet and a teacher of writing, well-known in the Roanoke area especially, and also a poet who's co-published with me, I'm happy to say, in the brand new um, Artemis, Judy Light Ayildis. So um, it was an opportunity to try to get some of my own poems out there, but also to be part of what was clearly a happening thing, a, a, a group of people who were really dedicated to giving us um, the sustenance that art can and the joy and the place to put our sadness. And um, I couldn't stay away. Well, it's been delightful to have you involved, and I'm so happy you're here today. Thank you for joining us. Besides poetry, you've written fiction as well. And I can actually remember, I think it was in the 80s, when you published Silk Road. And I loved it, and I remember that so well. In fact, I was searching my library before I came here today looking for it and couldn't put my fingers on it. But how did you uh, get into that? How did you decide to write about the Silk Road? Oh, well, uh, it's such a rich topic. How could I not? I got really interested in Chinese poetry starting back in high school and then through college. I didn't know much about it, but I got a chance right after I got my master's degree at Hollands, actually, to um, go to Taiwan. This was in the 70s, and U.S. citizens were not going to the other parts of China. And uh, I studied Chinese. I taught English, of course, and I was able to learn how to read Chinese poetry slowly with a dictionary. Um, the teaching part made me discover that I loved teaching. So I went back, got a PhD in, in a program that let me focus on British and American literature because that is my language and my first love, but also spend some pretty serious time reading Chinese poems. And the research I did for my dissertation, which was on a, a woman from the golden age of Chinese poetry, um, I was able to recycle in a couple of ways. 
One was publishing a, a book of literary versions of many of her poems, the ones that we still have. And the other was, okay, let's go into the realm of fiction at about the same time as that poet lived, and not write about her, but write about, try to get a sense of life there. After that, I, I decided to make it a trilogy, so I published two more novels set um, at different periods in Chinese history. Lots of homework, but it's my idea of fun homework. Oh, fun. Well, the Chinese language is, or characters, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that's not an easy language to learn or understand. Oh, it's not so bad. A, a billion people speak it. <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> and once you begin to learn, you know, you use flashcards. And a visual-minded person like you one, um, would, would be able to do it pretty quickly. It's one of the great things about Artemis, to, to jump back to the magazine for a minute, is that it, it does open a space for the visual parts of our minds as well as the language part. And I suppose there's a way in which Chinese does that, but maybe not quite as much as we romantically suppose. But it's, it's still there. It's one of the pleasures. Well, Shelby Foote says a good writer is a good listener. So you were listening hmm. to 10th, century Chinese poetry. <laughs> That's quite unique. Not many people would take that journey, and you did. You lived in Taiwan, mm -hmm. and so you're really immersed, and there was a particular poet that you liked. Uh, uh, what was mm -hmm. her name? Her, her name is Xue Tao, and yeah, she was the best known, most highly regarded woman of this um, time of great flowering of Chinese poetry. Of course, when I started reading it in English, um, there had been a, a good century of, of serious interest by U.S. poets and European poets in, this, in these poems. But they tended to focus on the men, oddly enough. And um, it was not a good time for literary research in China right then, although Chinese critics had looked at Xue Tao earlier, several generations earlier. So I was delighted to find out that there hadn't been much done about her in English and that I could put whatever language skill I have to the service of getting other people hooked on, on Chinese poetry and maybe going deeper into it. You have a book about her mm -hmm. during this period, yeah. and you're translating her work? Yes. Um, it, the title of that book is Brocade River Poems, which is a title that um, was used for, for Xue Tao's poems in, in Chinese named after the river in the city of Chengdu, where she lived most of her life. And um, I labored over the translations for my dissertation, and they have so many footnotes and so much commentary. And it was a real pleasure then to redo that and, and try to make them more alive as poems in English while still being true to the Chinese. So these poems were archived and... and Preserved so from the 10th century, they're available. Well, the majority are lost, actually, mm -hmm. and um, of course, many poets' poems were lost, but women's probably at a higher rate. And um, for those same reasons that you ask, I later did in um, back in the 2000 aughts um, a kind of anthology of poems that includes some of Xue Tao's poems, but also a good sampling of the many, many other women of the, this great time, the Tang Dynasty. 
Some of them were uh, women with a lot of social privilege and power, even if it was sometimes a little behind the scenes, but the only woman to sit on the throne is, as herself, the ruler of China, has a poem or two in there. And um, others were, were women usually who stayed in the household, usually affluent families, that, but there were entertainers because people who were nightclub singers would write their own lyrics and someone would jot them down even if they themselves were not writing dependent. So what was preserved is um, all been, thanks to all the work of Chinese scholars, made available, and you just have to work your way through them and understand and then think, how would I say that in English and make it sound good? It's a lot of fun. So this anthology is using mm -hmm. your own words and interpretations of, the, mm -hmm. of their poems. That's right. And what's the name of the book? That one's called Willow, Wine, Mirror, Moon. So I picked four images that show up a lot. There's very definitely a voice that um, is considered a, a womanly voice and a kind of range of vocabulary. And some men wrote using those voices and adopting a kind of female persona. The culture um, allowed them to get out of the narrow male gender role, too. So you've been focused on women writers and particularly these Chinese poets, mm -hmm. but your work has a thread, doesn't it? And it, it follows a certain feminine perspective. Well, Can I, I, say I that? think, I think um, yes, or maybe it's the normal perspective. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm feeling feisty, I like to say that. Right. But, but like Artemis, I think it is, are you still, even in 2020, it's only been 100 years that women in the U.S. who could get past other barriers, were able to vote. And I think we, we can't forget that. Um, it's tough to be a man in this culture, but, but we're still not quite hearing women as much as we could. And so I've always loved that Artemis was a, a platform for that. And I thought, I can't translate every poem in Chinese. <laughs> um, so maybe I'll focus on some of these voices that at the time I was doing it were still unheard. Well... Uh, it, your work is amazing, and we've always loved having you involved. And Artemis's beginnings started with uh, writing workshops for abused women, just trying yeah. to give them a good tool or a weapon to mm -hmm. to get their feelings out and start feeling empowered. So it's it's been a great um, journey, and so good to have you along. And since you mentioned this year's uh, journal, the theme, uh, we are celebrating the 19th amendment to the U.S. Uh, Constitution, granting women the right to vote. So what is it about that theme, besides what you've said, that speaks to you now in particular and, and the poem that you put in or you've submitted, we've published in this journal? Well, I was so happy when um, this poem was picked. And it's not really um, in any way an overtly... or even covertly, political poem, unless it's the politics of keeping on. Um, it is very much a Roanoke poem, or a greater Roanoke poem. It's called Discernment at Roaring Run, and I know uh, listeners who know uh, Roaring Run in the state forest not far from Eagle Rock, Virginia, will recognize what a beautiful wild waterfall that is in, in our amazing Appalachian woods. Um, this was a, a poem written when I was feeling lost in a, a time of um, some sadness, and I've always been spacey, but I was 
had been made aware of my slight spaciness. But I also thought, that's the life I'm living. Let's roll with that river. Um, would you like me to read I, the poem? Very much so. Uh, I would be delighted okay. to. <laughs> Thank you. Ask a poet. You will yes, get a poem read. I'll read it. So, um, Discernment at Roaring Run. The stupefying slip of creek down stone slab is the troubled cascade of memory's glints and growing failures. I just can't grasp today how much I no longer know or what it takes to turn a known place strange. I know the shiftful world continues changing. No known becomes some other shape otherly adorned. No current's ice, sand, stone dissolves. Let loss then be trance, and stasis seize this moment. No, let creek water rather wink and I'll bewildered, joyous, slide. So beautiful. Thank you. The thing I want to say about that poem is you've just made me see how in some way um, my debt to Chinese culture in the form of Taoism is in the background there and, and to Chinese Buddhism, the notion of all of that change. And formally, this isn't so immediately clear in the magazine, I think, but it, it is a kind of sonnet. You know, we're having this renaissance of sonnets in poetry in the U.S. right now, this, mm. this 10 years. Uh, we're all writing. No, we're not all. There's, everything's going on. But, but there's a, a kind of powerful push toward all kinds of sonnets, most of them not necessarily rhymed or in a nice iambic pentameter, pentameter meter. But... When I um, started getting serious about the my most recent book of my own poetry, there was a breakthrough when I thought, oh, I could make all of these poems be what I like to call busted sonnets. So mm -hmm. kind of ragged kind of rhythms and meters and not rhymed. But it gave me the shape I needed, the form. It's just like the frame around or the edge of the canvas, something for a poet to, to work off of. Wonderful. How would you describe or define a sonnet exactly? Well, Professor Larson says <laughs> 14 lines of, in the, the sonnet in English, as opposed to Italian, would be 14 lines of iambic pentameter. And there's a couple of basic rhyme schemes that are, are commonly used and varied on. It, it starts in Italian and then comes in just before Shakespeare's day, comes over into English. Um, and what I did with those rhyme schemes in, in the book of my own poems, What Penelope Chooses, was use sometimes layout and chunks of lines to create something like the effect of structure and repetition or shifting and turning that the rhyme scheme does in rhymed sonnets in English or Italian or French or what have you. Um, it's it's having the game, it's having rules for the game of art. And I think we all like that even when we joyfully bust the rules and, right. and don't quite follow them. Right. I mean, it's one thing, you need to learn the rules before you can break them. Mm. And that is something, obviously, you've done. And in your new book, 
uh, what Penelope chooses, we're going to skip over to Homer and and right. his Odyssey, the first Greek lyric poet. How did you choose that, and why did you go there? I mean, we've been in China. We've been in 10th century China, <laughs> and we've, you know, a little bit in Italy. But now, what what is this about? Oh, well, I read, I read the Odyssey, and I think I actually read it when I was 14 and had one of those wonderful high school English teachers who changed people's wow. lives, like, Lovely. like Valerie Nash was for many. Mm-hmm. And um, it was there in the back of my mind, and I wanted to go somewhere new for various reasons. And you don't want to keep plowing the same ground. And I had a chance through Hollands to do a very intensive week-long workshop for college teachers interested in the Odyssey. So I went up to D.C. and hung out with a bunch of people who knew a lot and did a lot of homework. And then, because I am a research geek, kept reading scholarship um, about mostly the Odyssey, but also the Iliad, so the, the book about the Trojan War itself. But like a, a number of other people, I felt like it didn't tell the whole story. That fascinating though it is, there are a lot of people whose voices we just don't hear. And Penelope, of course, the faithful wife of Odysseus, who is no dummy and is actually as crafty as her husband in ways, um, had things to say. I felt like his son was an interesting case. I was concerned, as you know, when Odysseus is spending 10 years getting home, he kind of settles in with a couple of beautiful island goddesses, and then he moves on, and I thought, well, they might have a story or two to tell. So it was a lot of fun, and and there are people who are mentioned, sometimes just in passing, sometimes important minor characters who were held in captivity, who were enslaved, and I thought, these are voices that, of course, we need to know a little more about, and if I can just crack the door open to us imagining and hearing those people. Those might be poems that I would want to spend time with writing and someone might want to read. And Penelope obviously interests you. Mm. And and did she become a widow, as I recall? Or did he Well we don't know we don't know who lived longer. It sort okay. of ends with them being happily ever after together. But okay. of course it's never always. Right. But the reason, one of the compelling things about Penelope, besides her cleverness, is that she is the paradigmatic female artist. She is the weaver, and her, her clever trick for managing her life involves weaving and unweaving. Well, what poet could resist a, a metaphor like that one? And how perfect a, a kind of rhyme for, um, or parallel for Artemis the magazine, the, the journal thinking about the making and unmaking that that goes into all of the artwork that gets preserved. So Penelope was important, and um, the cover of the book has a beautiful tapestry from the turn of the last century that, that shows her as the maker and the crafty unmaker of her art seemed like I didn't pick that cover, but I was so happy when the press did. Uh Uh-huh. And what does she choose? So these are poems, Mm. not always about her, but there are, there was one poem that I I particularly loved, and we spoke Mm -hmm. about it before we decided what to ask about the uh, book, 
And can you tell us about the poem that we talked about? And what what were you thinking when you wrote this book? This yeah. poem, excuse me. Uh, yeah, another poem in the book is where the title comes from. And it, it kind of plays tribute to, well, who's really in charge of Penelope's story? Is it Penelope or Homer? But I'll let people read that. Because <laughs> I was so happy when you picked this one, Jerry. Um, they are sonnets. And but since I tend to be a little long-winded, Professor Larson again, <laughs> um, one of the ways I was able to keep them down to 14 lines was to use that trick where the title is really the first line of the poem. So I got a 15th line right. in there. Um, before I read this on, I will tell you a few things. Um, you know, Odysseus, or Ulysses, as the Romans called him, shows up in uh, Dante's Inferno in the in the ditch of the eighth circle of hell, which is quite interesting in itself. And of course, in the Odyssey, Odysseus goes to the underworld, the Greek underworld, as part of his travels, um, the realm of Queen Persephone, another powerful mythological uh, Greek woman. And uh, in this poem, I was really thinking about names. Odysseus's name, because what's the etymology? Where does that come from? You can't imagine the amount of scholarly discussion <laughs> there's been. It also thought about his nurse, who's quite an important figure in the last part of the Odyssey, he and who is, again, a, a way to acknowledge the, the silenced voices of people held in bondage. Um, he wanted... Odysseus to have a, a different name than the one he got. So it got me thinking about the power of language, the power of names, and therefore finally because I am a poet about poetry. So let me read this poem, and Odysseus is speaking, and he starts off with his jaw jutting, um, maybe scolding poets like me. I don't like being wind-whacked or wimp-ass sonneteers hurrying me beyond the sunset's imperial guilt to hell's eighth ditch, wherever. By dread Persephone, I don't even get or like my own wrought-over name. A sorrow man, or here comes trouble. Am I to be construed Euthus Etruscan, smacked upside the head by Rome? My nurse wide fame, she wanted child much prayed for. She was off the power grid. I find no solace in this fretworked logos study. That grids the problem, really. Not hard white sea, but its awful webbing out. These nodal islands, me's, cross women, cross hatched, Hashtag keywords, the hashtag two-faced hashtag etymologies, the compassless Gabby hashtag poets, hashtag Hades bound. Thank you, Jean, for joining us today. It's been delightful listening to your stories and reading poetry to us all. I want to mention that on Sunday, September 13th, the Taubman Museum will be having a virtual launch of our journal. Uh, that'll be from 2 to 3 p.m. It's free. People can check in with the Taubman. There's a link on our website as well. 
and uh, there's an interview with you, and it's really interesting. So I hope you can uh, join us. And uh, Jane, thank you again so much for being here and being part of Artemis's life. Thanks, Carrie. Hurrah for Artemis. <laughs> thank you. You've been listening to Artemis Speaks. Artemis is a charitable organization now 43 years old and has evolved to be all-inclusive, a journal with essays, poetry, and art. 10% of the journal's sales are donated to a woman's shelter in southwest Virginia. If you're interested in learning more, artemisjournal.org. You can mail us directly, P.O. Box 505, Floyd, Virginia, 24091. The closing music and the opening music you're listening to is Jordan Harmon, and the song is Just Slow Down, a very appropriate comment for the times that we're in. If you want to read, you have to slow down. Artemis Speaks, the podcast, is recorded twice monthly at Final Track Studios in Roanoke, Virginia. All rights reserved and is co-produced by Jerry Rogers and Skip Brown. And you know you can't lose touch of those things that you love so much. So much Can anybody Tell me When it became So cool We got everybody Walking around Trying to do The same thing That everybody else they do Be yourself Cause yourself is all you got And all you got is what you need Look in the mirror, see it clearer The answer's staring at you And so just slow down in life Because you can't buy
Just slow down.